Nicola Victoria, it's a pleasure to meet you both. Um, so let's let's begin with I really, really, really want to know, and I'm and I'm so intrigued by all of the surrounding research, all of the documentation. How how did this project come about? It, it it's huge. Like it's such a such a varied um and massive, massive project. How did this even how did this even start? How did the partnership with the hospital come about? Um yeah, what steps did you take to pull all of this together? It started, as all good projects do, Tom, with a rogue email uh, that wasn't meant for me. Um, <laughs> about five or six years ago, um, our reception team at Royal Central sent an email from Imperial um, and the dementia care team there who were looking um, to collaborate with the drama school and actually just bring performance into hospitals and see what that could do. And it was from a Brazilian nurse who'd um, looked at uh, clown doctors before and, and seen that kind of practice being quite successful and wondered what could that be for medicine for the elderly wards. Um, and for me, I'd worked with Arts for Dementia and a few other companies and uh, Jewish care before and thought that was really exciting just to see actually what could we do in, in an acute hospital context. I'm sure there's a way because it's applied, but I quite like the challenge of working out what that looks like. So I met with Jo James, who's the consultant nurse in Dementia and Delirium and head of the dementia care team in Imperial and uh, just talk through options really. And I said, do we need to bring a performance to the hospital? Could we not make one with the patients uh, following sort of acute models of stay sort of about two weeks? Because for us, that's kind of where our emphasis is about, you know, participation and thinking about how we put the participant at the heart of the work. So they're co-creative, um, creatives with us and artists with us. I'm really interested in the patient as artist and what that can do for wellbeing. And she said, let's, let's try. And my rule with Joe and the whole team is say yes and work it out, um, which is so refreshing, especially in a hospital, to just say yes and try. Um, and it kind of managed to springboard from there. We had um, a, one of our units at Central's called Collaborative Outreach, and we devised our first sort of pilot project with um, students doing two-week cycles of workshops and then gathering material, making participatory performance and sharing back. Um, within Charing Cross Hospital, and you were supervising some of those, yeah, weren't you, Yeah, I facilitated them for six weeks. Yeah, and Vic was supervising all of those projects. And then we were doing intergenerational practice um, uh, because someone uh, dared Joe um, at a conference and said, I don't think you could do uh, intergenerational work in a hospital. I mean, you can do it in a care home, but I don't know about a hospital. And she's like, yes, we can. Um, and uh, that's kind of how we work, really. And she, she went from there and set up a massive project with... Um, CC4C, which is one of the organisations um, looking at uh, children and paediatrics and care, um, and uh, collaborated with their, some of their doctors in training, uh, and they took a year out of training, which is kind of amazing, to uh, work with us as intergenerational fellows and set up partnerships with schools, um, and we were one of the partnerships who helped with dementia care training uh, for, for kids coming in so they understood and we dis demystified dementia a little bit for them and they had some strategies of how to communicate with patients so it didn't make anyone feel too awkward um, and we were one of the practitioners who did process drama in the hospitals um, with patients and children and teachers it was a big crowd and the dementia care team supporting the patients so that I mean and I loved it and we started to do more and more as I learnt more tech because I'm nosy and I quite like learning new stuff I was really interested in virtual reality and I'm not like super trained or anything like that. Tom, I learnt from YouTube, um, as we all do, uh, and uh, taught myself how to use virtual reality and work with a clinical nurse specialist to think about how do we make this dementia friendly and safe for patients? What can it offer? And there's there's a whole host of stories we could share with you. 
uh, about how that developed. And it just went from there. We always try new projects. We've got a collaborative filmmaking project in an acute dialysis unit for patients who are on dialysis three times a week for quite long periods of time. And it really takes over your life um, and can interrupt sleep patterns, eating patterns. So part of our remit is keep patients awake, um, but do something positive for well-being. So creating working one-to-one -one bedside with our students on Zoom and us facilitating in person, supporting patients. And I guess it, we just wanted to see how we did that, where it wasn't sort of one-off projects once a year, but could we offer that more as a more sustained model um, all year round as we apply for funding from Research England and the Office for Student for their knowledge exchange projects, uh, putting, again, the students at the heart of that and thinking about how do we train them up for social prescription? And we've got a perfect opportunity here. We've got clinical staff who understand the arts. Vic's got um, quite an extensive arts background as well as training, uh, clinical training. And how do we fuse the two with a practice that's informed by both and support our students in tier two dementia training to learn both sides of that so that they're responsive, um, responsible practitioners in this field. And that's what we did. And just before lockdown in March 2020, great timing, um, <laughs> we got awarded the funding um, and then translated all the projects into digital form. And we've more than quadrupled our offer. We're running about six projects um, every week, every term, four terms a year. Um, so it's, it's quite huge. And we're doing staff wellbeing work and empathy training for staff on top of that as well. So it's, it's, it's grown from there. That was a long story, wasn't it? Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. No, no, no. It's so intriguing. Honestly, I've got so many questions, right? So, so when you initially started the project, how receptive were the hospital to what it was that you pitched to them? And how did they feel about the, the idea of students also being involved in this process as well? Were they supportive? Yeah, I think the, the whole team really advocate person-centred care and finding out what's important for each individual person. And I think Charing Cross used to be the actors' hospital uh, because it's near the West End. Um, and we, ha we have a lot of actors in. And I think there was a kind of a general interest in the arts, but Joe's also done quite a lot with the arts and artistic creative practice for a long time. And there's a lot of research into dementia care with music. Um, and storytelling so that there's already quite a body of literature that the team are quite um, well informed about and like thinking about how do we support patients who are also not just living with dementia but also um, experiencing delirium which is like an acute confusion um, and how do we how do we help someone to come out of that situation be less confused by orientating them and how can the arts help do that in a gentle creative way so I think there was already a lot of enthusiasm in, in the team for that work. And they have, like Vic is, in, is doing activity coordination roles as well. So there's already a post um, about that kind of practice. So I think there's already, there was already um, emphasis and excitement about what, what could we learn from each other. And I think we both happened to be open to, to learning and being responsive to the other's needs and respecting each other's fields. Victoria, could I ask, how do you feel about this work? How did you feel initially about this project when it was first pitched to you or you first got involved? And yeah, just from your experience, how have, how have you found this process? Um, it's very exciting to um, work with um, Nikki and everyone who is in arts, applied theater and come out and work with us and bring this amazing um, uh, workshop and um, since I am doing one-to-one -one activities with the patient and also group um, 
activities uh, part of their management in the hospital is this kind of thing like to make them engage and awake during their stay in the hospital and having Nikki and the students boost I think it helps their well-being because you know we um, we value their well-being and how did you find working with the students was there anything that you had to prepare before the students came in um, and, and from the from the patient's point of view you know from from your perspective somebody that that knows these people and spends the most time with these people in this process did what were some of the noticeable differences or, or results that you saw from this work um, when I'm facilitating the students the call out students from central everyone was so excited the patient the staff are very like what's happening because i actually like um go each ward and um let them know we're gonna have this um uh, uh, activity or workshop today would you be would you like to take part of this one i'm not just gonna take the patient without you know um uh, consent from the manager i want uh, everyone knows so that you know they can help patient to come and join us so yeah they're very happy they're very engaged the students are delivering such a wonderful activity which is everyone makes happy and they also like um uh, decorate the room <laughs> like to make it more like they're in theater they bring oh. some they bring some um stuff tinsel and uh, things tinsels, all sorts of curtains. everything curtains just to you know because your patient is just like in the four corners of the room and yeah. it's it's a bit like sad so yeah. bringing this into hospital this kind of thing makes them more like wow the one thing that you can see on their face when they enter the room when i bring them into the room they was like oh <gasps> Wow, it's amazing. What are we yeah. gonna do? They're so excited. You know what? They're they enjoyed it. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. Like they enjoyed it. They love the students. They love singing with them. They love doing activities. So yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, Nicola, so you've got the buy-in from the hospital, you're delivering your projects. Where on the timeline did the idea for the virtual reality come from? And when did it start? I think that was about the third project that we put in. Um, and I think I'd already used, because I was really interested in how to make intergenerational connection. And I was thinking about the knowledge that both a uh, 104-year-old and a six-year-old might bring. Um, and how do you fuse the two? So trying to create activities that did that. So I was already playing a bit with augmented reality and, and I also was limited in how many, I, I couldn't always bring actors into the space. So I had facilitators and um, practitioners in the room who were students working with me as a team. Um, but we needed to find a way to bring uh, extra characters in, in like mystery stories and things like that. Um, so we uh, already pre-created that content, but you could scan a map, for example, through a tablet. We were using HP Reveal when it was around. And sadly, it's not anymore, but it was that kind of app. Uh, and it would pop up with a character saying something, and everyone was quite surprised by that. Um, even the kids, but the kids just seemed to have this innate knowledge, not all of them, but quite a few of them, about how to use the tablet. So they were very excited about it, and then they loved teaching the patient. And the patients were like, what? Um, so just finding out things that could create moments of wonder and that 
that excitement and impact that could suddenly, from a session where someone wasn't always totally engaged with the story, to just, th- there's some magic here. What is this? I don't understand this. And this is quite exciting because I don't know how it's happening. Um, and I thought, gosh, I wonder what, what VR might do for well-being because it's that next step on. It's more immersed. As Vic said, the hospital can be quite um, a monotonous kind of space um, yeah. and the aesthetics are all the same everywhere. Yeah, that can be a bit disorientating, actually, because you wouldn't normally have a house like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do, we, how do we make sure that people feel like they could revisit a place they might be missing? Um, so like uh, one of our stories is um, a gentleman who lost mobility after a major stroke and was feeling what we, the hospital described as low mood. We use different words sometimes from each other. It's another thing I'm learning. Um, and uh, he said the thing that he missed the most was a walk through Epping Forest with his wife every day. And we said, well, um, maybe we can, we can try and bring the walk to you, maybe. It won't be the same, but we can try. And he was like, okay. So I had a student with me, got a map out. He retraced the route with the help of his wife. Um, told us some stories about why it was important to him. I sent the student with the camera and we talked a lot about how we do storytelling in VR. And I'm, again, we were learning, very much learning all the time. Got advice about the head height of the camera not changing because you need the bed head height to be the same for the viewer so it doesn't jump. Otherwise the physics are off. Um, <laughs> to physics, that was strange. And uh, they took a walk through the forest where he could look around or look at the students so he wasn't on his own. Um, we brought it back to him with some leaves we collected that he could crunch under his toes and we had aromatherapy pine um, oils that he could smell and he sat with the headset on with his wife hand in hand and they took their walk through Epping Forest which made both of us kind of cry um, because I think it was quite a moving moment um, so that kind of evolved out of all these other little bits of projects thinking oh wonder that seems to be a thing what can that do for well-being? How can we create wonder? And how do we change the space when we can't go out the space? So it's trying to find other ways to bring spaces into the hospital. And I got quite interested in how we might do that as immersive performance. Wow. Well, firstly, what a beautiful and touching story. Um, I can't... <laughs> so from a producing point of view, I'm kind of hearing all of this and I'm thinking, wow, this is a lot of work. Like... Was it what what size was your production team, or was it very minimal? Talk me through that. Two. It so, was uh, uh, well, actually it's technically three because the student filmed the work and then uh, worked with me to edit it, and then we checked it back with the clinical nurse specialist, the specialist in dementia, to just problem shoot and think about how do we transition, for example, from the hospital space into the story and back out, uh, things like that, so that we don't cause a problem for someone or cause confusion. Um, so thinking about, we have a ritual where we put the curtain around the bed. And so when you go into the headset, we filmed an empty bed. So actually, the, and with the curtain around. So we start there, we gently have the music fading in, and then we, we go into the story and we very gently come back out again. So we've got lots of signs and signifiers that are part of that journey. And that's stuff we've kind of honed over time with different patients. And some people don't want to be in the headset. They want to watch it on a tablet or a phone. And we give all the options. So if you're feeling a bit nervous about being completely immersed, you can still kind of see a world within a world in, in a tablet or with a finger um, movement, or we can move the tablet. So there's loads of access and needs we had to think about and find ways to adapt to. So I think we have got a whole menu of stuff now. Um, so that was just us really, just learning, developing. And now we do it, we turn around VR films in three to four days. Wow. Um, because we've learned, I think we've learned a lot about how to do it. So now I can train the students or problem shoot with them, something they want to try, like an animation in VR. And I've, I think we've learned enough little bits now that we can make a tutorial. I'm sending the tutorials back the same day within probably usually a couple of hours. 
so they've got everything they need to um, to, to create the work they, they want to realise the patient's vision. It's, it's fantastic. It, it's really fantastic work. It's so inspiring. And one of the things that I did, I actually did pick out from um, some of the required reading for, for our conversation today was, was that, you know, the idea that when they put the headset on, they are greeted with a, a common signifier and something that actually makes them feel like they haven't travelled out of the space that they're in and you know the idea of the curtain that's the first thing that they see so that their environment hasn't transformed too much what what are some of the reactions when they take this technology off like how do patients react to this experience it's a real mixture isn't it yeah do you want to say something you've observed um, I'll, I'll we have some we have you. this um patient who who's from caribbean mm-hmm. um and um she missed her um you know place somewhere and um where's um where's the beach the beach and everything they always miss the beach so the student will ask her you know um what particular beach you miss and then they will you know go somewhere and film it best equivalent that we can usually but we have had students uh fortunately who've been in like thailand or other places with gold sandy beaches and we're like take the camera um, so, <laughs> or on their holiday. On the holiday, we're like, holiday. would you like to take the? Yes, we'll take the camera. So we've got lots of stock footage from different yeah. places where we're allowed to film. So that's been very helpful. Yeah. yeah. And the the expression was like, wow, it's amazing. They missed it. At least you know, um, <laughs> um, uh, we're giving this opportunity for them to at least feel. It's all kind of it's yeah. something about their story's been captured, I think. And because we just use the little, I mean, I can probably go and show you one in a minute, but it's just a little plastic headset. Do you want me to? We've been, um, yeah, you can grab one actually, Vic. There's the, the green one would be cool. The green one? Yeah. I'll show you. Um, it's We've been um, partly supported with in-kind support from My Improvement Network, who create dementia-friendly software. And they donated about four grand's worth of kits. So we've got the Rico Theta cameras. And we have these, we've got about 80 of these headsets that the patients, they're single use, so the patient can keep them. And all they need to do is put a smartphone in, which pretty much all of them have got. Then it's YouTube. That's where they're accessing the video. So anyone can have it. They've got their own. Uh, it's totally COVID safe for them to have and keep. Um, and if they don't want to watch it on this, they've got, they can again watch their phone, but they can share it with family and friends so they all get a headset like this that wow. just your phone just slips in and it's um, you can adjust bits and pieces on it. Uh, I think it's got an adjustment upside down bit. There we go. Uh, it's just got an adjustment here for the lens. We've got glasses on. It's got comfy padding. So then, Nicola, as as a lecturer, how what was your process for upskilling um, and preparing the students that you work with for this project? That's a nice meaty question. Excellent. I think uh, <laughs> the students. I think we've had first years, but most of them are second years who've done that initial um, facilitator training, safeguarding, all, all the usual things. And the first years, they've at least done that in their first term. They're all applied theatre students, um, so they've un- they've got a knowledge of the methodologies and ways of working. Um, and uh, all third years who are on professional placement and master students who are doing applied theatre. So all the way across, really. Um, but we've also trained the children we work with, and they're as young as six, um, all the way through secondary school. So there's, there's lots of different age groups, but if we're training them, depends on the level. If they're the children, we're usually facilitating, they're participating, so it's a different training. But if they're yeah. our students, yeah, so if it's our students, they do tier two dementia training that Joe has put together, that actually nurses would do. 
Um, so it's partly clinical training to teach them about recognizing pain and expression, especially over a tablet. I mean, we're there either side supporting and we use transmedia. Um, so we're using uh, an encrypted WhatsApp group to answer questions, to field any queries about sounds on the wards that are outside of peripheral vision. So we prepare them and talk about transmedia, how to do that, why we do that. We've got training videos on everything. Now we're learning. We always add more if they think of something. Um, they do the tier two training to be certified before they start. And we also do practice sessions, thinking about um, challenges that might come up in a session or access needs. Um, and we pre-brief and debrief every single workshop, um, which we're th we worked out the other day. It's way over 150 workshops we've done now. Something like that, yeah, workshop. over the year, across multiple projects. And we also have videos that are specific for each project to train them up. Or if they want something that they're not sure about, we'll either make them a bespoke new video or we can... We can um, point them in the direction of other material and they have a reading list and example case studies from us that they can look at. So there's quite a lot of prep that goes into it and I suppose the other thing is that Vic's there all the time. Um, so we've got a clinical member of staff with us which is fantastic. So if there's questions that they're asking that I just don't have that knowledge, Vic has the knowledge or we can ask and find out that information um, beforehand. So they're as prepared as we can before each interaction that they have and we unpack everything. I think one of the one of the interesting things that we've talked about a lot is about emotion. There seems to be a lot of... Um, everyone likes it when someone laughs. <laughs> because that's, that's an okay where we're comfortable with laughter. But if someone might feel a little teary sometimes. And just because that's, that's just part of how they're feeling in that moment. There's reasons for that that we may or may not be aware of. Um, and I think sitting with someone and being present when they feel like that to help someone feel calmer. And restore back that balance so that they can feel happier by the end of the session. That's difficult. Um... And I think that the students have always said, well, I don't like it when they're crying. I feel worried about that. So, okay, but that, that's part of this. Um, and we need to find ways to look after ourselves and do self-care, um, but also be a bit emotionally resilient as well, because this is going to happen sometimes. And it's not about you. It's about how that person's feeling. And it's just trying to gently help people to think about that and that that's part of the dementia training that they've already had and why that might be going on. And Vic's brilliant because she can unpack a lot of that clinical knowledge and explain why that's happening. Um, and I can look at the more kind of practitioner view of what do we do with that feeling and how do we look after ourselves and what can we think about for next time. Uh, so we do lots of learning. It's quite iterative in that sense for the students. So they're constantly mentored um, throughout the process. Yeah, but what a fantastic work placement. Like the opportunity, opportunity to be involved with a project like this whilst you're at university that's just invaluable and and I find that really interesting that you spoke about you know perceiving pain in a negative way what were some of their other worries and feedback was that was that a challenge dealing with that I don't know I think sometimes they get worried about all I mean they worry about different things sometimes there's a sound on the ward that they haven't heard before but they're hearing through the through the tablet screen um, and because they can't see it they don't always ask us in the moment. And then they get very worried and ask us in the debrief. Like, you can, you can ask us in the session. We're, on, we're online with you. And it's just getting people used to asking for help. Or, and that, that when, there's no judgment. We have a horizontal team structure. So we all take collective responsibility um, as, a, as a placement. That's something that we felt strongly about. The dementia care team is also a horizontal structure, which is unusual in the NHS. Um, yeah. And uh, so we kind of working against the grain a little bit there. But also I'm normally a lecturer with the students and I don't want to have, 
I don't normally in my classrooms have that relationship that's hierarchical. I like having horizontal collective responsibility. I think that that's productive. So you've got a lot of support, but the structure is there so that they can make discoveries as we go. And I think sometimes adapting to that and getting used to that is, is tricky to start with. But then they quite like it because they don't feel that if they make a mistake, they're not kind of berating themselves forever. It's like, yeah. what can we learn from that rather than, oh my gosh, I did it wrong. You're like, no, you didn't, you didn't do it wrong. Yeah. It's because everyone's different and we didn't know. So all we can do is our best and, and try and think about adapting. Just listen to and ask for advice. Just getting people used to that, I think, it can be a challenge. But it doesn't take that long. Or it's a bit like also um, <laughs> patting your head and rubbing your tummy to use transmedia yeah. and facilitate and be a researcher and be ready to do a screen share and all the other things going on. <laughs> and a jam board that we've got on another tablet. And then the patients move the jam board and you're like, hang on a second, what's happened here? Um, and it's getting used to all of that stuff, I think, as well, that uh, can take a little while. But it, it's, it's, yeah. it's quite quick. It takes about two weeks for everyone to start to adapt to all of those things. That's, of course, on average. Some people take a little longer, some are much speedier, um, which we totally get. It's a funny way of practicing that it's kind of evolved out of the need for it to, to be there. So how, how does a session run? Can you talk me through the process? How do you enter the space? Who's playing what role? How have you selected patients? Uh, I'm going to talk how I um, select patients. Um, so basically yeah. on first first day, um, uh, Nikki already have the team to um, uh, join us. So what I do, I go to the ward and make sure... Uh, like check who is able, who have the capacity to join our workshop and less in pain, who is not uh, really delirious or, you know. Um, checking for consent. Con yeah, consent. So, and then I'm going to message all the students using the transmedia, the WhatsApp that, oh, okay, team, this is our patient today. Just a little bit of basic info about the patient. The For example, if I'm going to, we're going to, uh, do life in lyrics so beforehand I already interviewed the patient what kind of music she likes he likes so that the student already know how to engage with the patient beforehand so they're already okay team um, this is what she likes so the team already searching everything so even before the session start we know a little bit about the patient so you know and yeah um, and I think in the, in the session, we always go online a little bit before just to check any tech that they want to try. Um, yeah. And if we have a patient with a particular access need, do we need to put in auto transcription or do we need a second tablet to use uh, a Jamboard with post-its that we can communicate or ask questions and put po pictures that they can see and respond to in case there's a, a hearing impairment for the patient. Yeah. So thinking about all the adaptations they might need to make. Um, and then uh, in the session, they can choose their roles and they sometimes keep the same ones and they sometimes want to try different roles and change them around. So we give them autonomy about that and support them with that decision making just so they learn a bit of everything. But usually they've got a researcher who, if the patient's saying, I went to school in this village and my school was called, they'll try and find a photo of it that we can pull up and put on the jam board for them. And then they're usually like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of excitement the seeing it. That's the exact um, place I used to go or something like that. And then more stories start to, to come through or the students will also share, this is my school, this is where I went. So it's not extractive because neither of us like that. We want it to be reciprocal. As much as yeah. possible, we want it to be more fun 
and yeah, fun and yeah, engaging. So they engaging, learn each other. Yeah. You don't just take stuff. Actually, you give something of yourself because we're asking that the patient. For me, ethically, it's fair to do that within, of course, limits so that they're appropriate things we're sharing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so there's usually a researcher who's doing that, or two, depending on the size of the group um, and how complex uh, or how quickly the patient is telling us information. Sometimes it's very fast. Um, and then we have a lead facilitator who's guiding um, the session and a co-pilot. So should their internet go down or anything like that, everyone has a session plan. So we also know it. So we can pick it up if the, if the whole Zoom collapses, that we can continue and um, continue facilitating so it doesn't jump for the patient. So their experience is always super smooth, but under the surface, we're all paddling yeah, yeah, yeah. and then getting them back online. And then the students don't need to panic because they know we've got it. We've got their backs, whatever's happening and bring them back. But I suppose at the start, everyone introduces themselves. So there's transparency on the call. And then we use speaker view. So it's a nice big screen but the patient knows exactly who's watching and um, how they feel about that. And we thought, are they going to be all right being on camera? Do they feel okay about that? And actually all of them, without exception yet, I think, love being on camera. There's lots of like, doesn't my hair look good? And uh, <laughs> do you like my earrings? They're lovely. And um, patients haven't always seen their reflection for a while. And I think the students always, we always start with something to, to say that we're live. So we'll be like, oh, I love your cardigan. So we try and notice something um, that we can help people know we're present, we're live, we're not a pre-recorded video, just in case they haven't. Most people now have done Zoom, but at the start they hadn't. Um, and it was a bit like, oh, that's a lovely, that picture's moving. Is that my picture? Why are they moving? We're like, no, they could, they could see you, it's live. What? Uh, so it's kind of just de demystifying what the interaction actually is. We do that. And then they start with sharing something about music. And if the patient's already given some information, we might share that song and have a sing-along together. And usually the nurses join in. You hear a lot of that in the wards. Obviously, why wouldn't you? Yeah, the student play the, the favorite song of the patient and everyone can hear it. And everyone was like, what's happening? Oh, I like that song. Everyone is engaged. Everyone is joining in. So, wow, what a powerful kind of activity. You know, so even if it's one to one, it has a broader yeah. ripple effect on the ward, which we, we weren't expecting. Yeah. Um, and then they do some storytelling, find out what, um, take some notes as the patient's talking about the stories they're, sh they're sharing for life and lyrics. And then they make a bespoke song that's celebrating the music genre that the patient likes with those lyrics. And again, we get them a CD or if there's more than one song, an album. Um, back within three to four days that's been uh, recorded that's high quality and a lot of our students are also singers or we have music theatre students mm -hmm. who join us um, and the patient's got something with the lyric sheet and a letter to remind them what happened it's all lovely and colourful um, so it's a bespoke artefact each time for each patient that will come back and at the end of the session we then give the students a cup of tea break and debrief everything and we give the patient a certificate so they've got instantly something to commemorate what we've done and there's also a talking point for the nurses when they come over like what is that what's that about and the patient can recall what's happening or share it and they can read it out so they know what what they've been up to that afternoon and i realize as as you're talking to me about this now that we've we've kind of automatically segued into uh life in lyrics is that right so we've got the vr project we've got the life in lyrics are there any other projects that you're running that, you, that you'd like to talk about? We have six projects. <laughs> We've got a lot. Of... We have six projects. Hear me out, Intergen Auchi. Yeah, we did. We wanted to look at well-being across age groups. So we've done. Are you happy for me to talk about yes, Auchi? Sure, and then you can tell yeah, me when I, I miss stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So we did a collaboration with um, Whitefield School, which is in Barnet, and we worked with their year nine students for almost an, like, a big chunk of that academic year, two big terms of that. Last year, when we were in lockdown, they prepared dementia-friendly resources and we made an interactive game, which is a dementia-friendly version of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream um, that has all sorts of pathways. So if Hermia decided to marry uh, Demetrius, what would their life be like? And the students imagined all sorts of things. We went to Egypt. And we were, they were also like questioning, like, why would they run across a forest to escape? That's not very far. They could track them down on their phones. And I was like, good point. Good point. Where should they go? New York. Right? Obviously. There. So so it's quite a fantastic, it's quite a fun, it's all transcribed and the videos and the students were acting out Shakespeare, but a contemporary version with all sorts of different pathways that the patient could choose what happened and go down any character's routes and they play as that character. And it's also nice. orientating so it's got the right time and date um, all the time. And the students learnt to code that. We've got a digital theatre consultant, uh, Mel Phillips from Produce Moon, who's working with us on the project to upskill the students in digital skills, as well as me doing it. Um, and uh, so we've been working on that. And then we said, let's do something a bit more because they're so good. And they were really a, a fun, sassy year group. And I was like, let's see if we can push a bit further. So James Clark, who's the teacher in charge, is one of our uh, grads as well. Um, we said to him, well, how do we make this happen? For Let's do two year nine classes, be ambitious. So we had groups of six students. And again, Joe and I went in and trained the students about dementia, dialysis, because we wanted to work in Ouchie Ward. What a good name for a ward, Ouchie. Uh, but it's A-U-C-H-I. <laughs> and uh, so we've been working in that ward for, for a long time doing collaborative filmmaking. We said, well, let, we know the patients quite well. Let's see if we can get groups of six students to have their own patient. And they do sort of some life story work together um, and see what they want to make. Um, and see what, what happens in that interaction for kids who are missing their grandparents and they can't travel outside of the city. Um, and for uh, grandparents who are still and have been socially distancing for almost two years who can't see all their family but really like children. What, what does that look like? What can that do? Um, and it turns out quite a bit. Um, and they made all sorts of things. We had ghost stories, we had Western films, we had um, spoken word pieces, we had an 80s music video, um, all sorts of things that the kids would direct and share back a little bit each week and then the patient would give feedback and say what they did and didn't like and they were quite honest directors. Um, <laughs> and the kids were like, oh. Uh, but they had like quite a nice like bantery relationship with each other and I think every week they would be awake, ready for us to bring the kids. Oh, the kids coming? Yeah, the kids coming. And the nurses started to watch the reaction. Um, they tell us which patients to work with. And I think yeah. we had five, six, seven, I don't know, lots. Yeah, quite a lot of patients across two different sessions, two different days. So we're meeting quite a lot of different needs in that session, uh, in those sessions. Um, and just celebrating their stories and thinking about how do we place value on both groups? So yeah. value on as performers, but also storytellers and share something of the kids' stories with the stories of the patients and fuse them so they've got this lovely thing that's together um, and it's like celebrating togetherness um, and then the kids uh, created a live performance that we then streamed back to the ward so the patients had dvd copies of everything that they could take home and show family and friends um, and celebrated that work and the kids got to learn about uh, dementia about uh, dialysis and just about people's lives people that they would probably not have met before and one of the kids there really was an incredible facilitator um, and actually we've just been nominated for the Music and Education Awards this year for that project, which is awesome. So we, we've managed to get tickets to bring one of the kids and their mums along as well as the wards, some of the ward staff and the school um, and our um, 
uh, our principal as well, our new principal for Central. Um, so we're all going to go together and celebrate and meet each other because I think that's the thing. We've not met all of us in person before and just make sure that everyone feels celebrated. So that's that project as well, which is kind of springboarding off of our collaborative and intergenerational work um, to create this sort of fusion project of the two. Cool. And, uh, and just a little bit of a side note here, uh, Nicola and Victoria, that I am I'm absolutely engrossed in hearing about this project and your work completely, completely reminds me and reaffirms why I wanted to start this platform to be able to share your incredible work and promote it and platform it so that people nerds applied geeks like us are able to find out how do you go about creating projects how do you go about working with students incorporating students on a with a real life brief project brief and that the amount of layers and intricacies that that, that you've kind of divulged into and, and shared today honestly a, a massive massive thank you I, I really really appreciate um your your kindness and, and the level of detail that, that you're describing today um so how how did the pupils find being in role how did they respond to that experience i think i think they were i think they were brilliant actually i think we had some of our students, we had a collaborative outreach project with us as well. So we had a group of five uh, second years, which really yeah. helps. We had some online kind of helping with that facilitation between the two and then some in person supporting the other ends. They had like lots of support devising the work, but I think there was a lot of laughter. <laughs> and I think there was a lot of um, a lot of focus on creating something to always share back and thinking about the patient. And what I really found really interesting is that they started to say, we would say, so you're ready to come and meet um, this person they're like our patient sorry your patient <laughs> okay. uh, so they, they started to kind of take ownership of that relationship and they they felt quite strongly for their patients <laughs> their pa I can't not say it now because we've got so used to them saying that but creatively I think um, they worked quite I think they always wanted to impress the patient I know there were points where the patient were like don't know about that and they were like oh I don't want to disappoint them like, but it's okay because you're co-directing and what you do in work normally is you refine it based on yeah. feedback. So that's a normal process. And let's sit with that discomfort and think about how do we now address um, what we've been with the ask that we've had from today um, and not, not dwell on it wasn't perfect the first time. Well, it's never going to be perfect the first time, but you did your very best. And I don't think that's the question. And so it's kind of looking and reframing things. And I think James, as the teacher in the space, did a lot of work about the importance of the project, why we're doing it, why it's a quite a political act. Um, to do this work right now and challenging ageism um, for what that's come out of, well, it's always been there, but pronounced in, in the pandemic, particularly online. And how do we address that kind of prejudice by celebrating identities and looking at radical kindness as a way of practicing that's really exciting and challenging these things in the world. And I think they, they, they took it on. <laughs> they took it on well. And they took it very seriously um, and did a fantastic job. Um, and I think now we've shared some of their reactions um, and we did a big public festival at the end of term to share the work back because we, as you said, it's really important to share things that you're learning um, and to have people ask you questions so that you can actually think more about your practice as critically as you can. And some of the kids came back to present um, uh, their experience of that, which we've now taken that, that sort of filmed 
um, section of the, the festival to Singapore, to the US, um, to Rotterdam, Switzerland, Germany, Sweden. It's, it's gone internationally with the conferences that we've done because it's such a powerful moment. The kids now feel that they are very famous. Uh, rightly so, they are. Yeah, they are. They are, I know they're like, but it came from this, this I was like, yeah, it starts as a seed, doesn't it? And then look, look what you did. You're now, like, yeah. international audiences in medical and arts conferences have heard about what you did. Um, and we can't take credit for that. That's what they chose to do and how they chose to respond to it. Um, that, for me, is just uh, mind-blowing. I learned a lot from those kids. What I find so cool about the VR and digital work that you're doing is that you are really ahead of the curve. Like you're you're using technology and, and approaches in your applied practice that not everybody is even aware of. You know, there's there's certainly there's certainly parameters in regards to accessibility, people not maybe being able to fund using that technology yet. Like where do you see or how do you see this technology being used in five years time within applied settings or applied practice well i just want um, this pro project to translate to all healthcare settings mm. you know mm. to um yeah be um known that we're doing this amazing innovative um project mm. Yeah. everywhere i think we're we're trying to make that happen we have a social enterprise attached to us as well who are also upskilling in vr and different technologies and i really would like to see us make dementia friendly vr apps and ar content so all the content we make for our um, virtual reality project because we've had in kind support from my improvement network the films um also go back to be archived on their um software so that they can be shared um, across different platforms so other people who have got who would like to see some virtual reality that's been created about all sorts of topics um, have got access there as well but I think there's scope to make this huge some of the patients actually prefer the tablets to, to in person because it's less intrusive than having five people around your bed and if we still can't use day rooms for the foreseeable we don't know yet then uh, this is a way for us to absolutely still provide support and I, I would love to see us network across the hospital so we can create friendships between patients in different wards and um, bring family into those conversations and play um, with both sides. We've done that with some of our projects. We've got a podcast project called Hear Me Out that was yeah. created. Yeah. And I think he, the, the patient there had just lost his wife um, and couldn't go to the funeral because he was COVID positive and also poorly himself. And it was a nightmare. And just thinking about how technology could actually alleviate some of the guilt of not being able to go and the guilt of the family of not being able to support and come in, which I can't even imagine how they were feeling. Um, we got asked, what can you do? And we said, well, let's, let's at least find some way that they can hear each other's voices and hear stories. So we were actually with the students after a lot of talking about emotional support. And we had a mental health nurse with us from the team then, present with the patient on the day of the funeral. and had kind of our own. Um, where we played back the podcast where he told uh, funny stories when he was growing up and his daughters really weirdly told the other side of that. So where he thought he was being very protective about their dating lives, they were like, no, dad was a nightmare with these things. Um, and uh, he actually did this and the other for us or made our dates walk around the block four times in the cold. And you know, like the, and they didn't know the stories because we didn't 
say which stories that he'd told, but they happen to just tell like yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. such important family narratives. Um, as you have, you know, you have your family stories, don't you? Um, we could play for both sides to create support for the family and his daughters could hear his voice that day and he could hear theirs. And the nurse read the eulogy and we had a dance to his favourite song, uh, which was his wedding dance, um, which we got some funny looks for because it's a bit weird when you're dancing in full PPE uh, in a side room. But it's okay. Um, and then we had some a toast with some uh, non-alcoholic um, beverage <laughs> so that he could... He could do something and, and share what he wanted to for that time so he wasn't on his own. And that made a lot of difference to his well-being. I mean, for all of us, I don't think I'm ever going to forget that day. Um, and that's one bit of technology. And I mean, you see so many things in the press about people saying goodbye on Zoom tablets. And that's just so hard. And I think there's other things we can do to support family um, and patients and staff who are also having to navigate that and hear anger and upset and that's really hard to take as well and think about what we can do that can because it's tech it can spread fast um and we can do a lot with it i think that you're, you're quite right i think there are so many possibilities we haven't even scratched the surface yet and we're just i'm just feel very privileged that we've got vic and joe and the team who are allowing us to try stuff and learn and the students who are also trusting us and, and, and playing and also teaching us a lot of things, things that we hadn't thought about. They're like, could we do this? And you're like, oh my gosh, why haven't we done that before? <laughs> um, like the, we never used jam boards before they suggested it. We heard of them, but we hadn't thought of using them in that way. Um, yeah. And it's an extra level of participation. So I think- um, QR code as well. Yeah, we, we love QR, QR codes. Code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that there's, there's boundless possibilities for it. You just have to, see the problem and find a way to resolve it. And I think tech can enable that to happen. We shouldn't be frightened of it. The patients don't see the barrier of the screen anymore. It's not there. Mm, I completely agree. Uh, so finally, what is in store for you in 2022? What's next? I'm just trying to share knowledge in as many places as possible. We get a lot of calls for support and help from care homes and other contexts about how do you do it? Um, Actually, we've got that's who we're working with this term is we our partner with One Housing. Um, we've got six projects with them across four schemes going on this uh, this term um, within restrictions within the homes, and they're all using tech to enable that to keep happening and support well-being. And for some of the schemes, it's the first time using technology like this in this way. Um, so I think there's there's so much to to be done. There's a lot of work. The more we do, the more we go. Hang on, <laughs> what, what about this? Um, and I think we've been doing staff wellbeing work as well. Really weirdly, we won um, a competition that the Trust put together called Imperial's Got Talent. Vic was singing. And we were trying to introduce Makaton for dementia, which is a new kind of part of research through, uh, don't laugh, music videos. And uh, really strangely, we won that one and it was announced by Elton, Elton John. John. Really? As you do. That was one of the strangest days of my year. <laughs> but yeah. it was amazing. We were just like, Elton John heard our song. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> But then it's that managed to springboard from one song with one ward celebrating the story of a patient's connection actually with Vic and the ward yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And now we've got, we had to make, I've never written so many Christmas songs in my life. We did three with three full music videos across three parts of Medicine for the Elderly in, in hospitals. And that went out to the entire trust over Christmas as part of a little Christmas calendar of wellbeing activities. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot to do there, I think, as well, to keep supporting staff wellbeing and the incredible job that everyone's been doing in the NHS. I feel very privileged to be there. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else right now. And how can people get in contact with you if they would like to find out more? 
Um, we've got, uh, well, you can email me or, or tweet me if they want to direct message. Um, my Twitter is at, at Dr. Nikki A. Um, my email address is nicola.abraham at cssd.ac.uk. Um, once the website's launched, there'll be a few more ways to contact us, but for now, I check those all the time. <laughs> so if anyone would like to get in touch, that'd be great. Sweet. Okay, thank you. Uh, Victoria, Nicola, thank you very much. Um, I can't wait to speak to you again in the future. Um, and yeah, here's to your incredible work. Thank you both very much. Have a lovely weekend. Have a lovely, nice lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you.